Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Today, um, not really in a series, um, I, I, I've titled this message, The Heart of Jesus, Enduring the Joy Set Before Him. For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. Amen? Say, raise your hand, point at yourself, I am that joy. Amen. You're the joy that caused Jesus to stay the course. Because, you know, I think we, we lose this piece. We lose the element of recognizing that Jesus was human. You know, he was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. And that wasn't because he had an unfair advantage of being God. You know, he, he was born, obviously, into this earth without sin. He's God, the logos, the, the, the creative word of God manifest into a human being, but he took on flesh. So that means he experienced life like we experience life. He legitimately was tempted. He could have sinned and derailed the whole thing, but he didn't. But he actually did face temptations in the same way that you do. That you do. It's, one of the, it's one of the beautiful aspects of the deliverance that we have in him is because he showed us the way. And the power that he lived by he has now given us. You know, so we talked about last week, John chapter 17, we talked about the idea of our love for one another. Uh, well, in, in another place, but our, our love for one another in the body of Christ should be a sign to the world that we're Jesus followers. And then you see in John chapter 17, Jesus prays, I pray that, well, he says, I've given, so, sorry, rewind. At the beginning of chapter 17, he prays, he says, I've manifested your name. I'm ready to take back the glory that I had with you before I came here. So he laid down this glory. You know, there's an aspect of him laying down some facet of his godhood. And it's hard to wrap your mind around all that. And in fact, when you try to start explaining it, people's barriers go up and all the theologians are like, well, that's not quite correct. That's not quite correct. You said this. And it's like, you know, God emptied himself and became human. Can we just agree on that? But he says, I'm ready to take back up the glory that I had with you before I came. And then he says, I'm giving them that same glory. I don't even know what that is. I mean, we can think about it to a degree, right? You can go into scripture and get some insight on it. But even that's not going to reveal to you what it is. Man, but that, that puts us in a state of the types of beings that we are, it's phenomenal. We don't know the degree of honor and glory and dignity and worth that he's crowned us with. But when we recognize that he has done that in ourselves and we love each other, he says it will be a sign to the world that we're Jesus followers. And then he prays, that glory that I've given them, I pray that just as, Father, you and I are one, that they would be one in us. We are just as one with God as Jesus is. 
Then he says, I pray that they would be one with one another so that the world would know that God loves them and know that you sent Jesus for them so that the world would believe. That's the strategy. Like if we want a strategy of what we should be doing, it should be recognizing the glory that Jesus has given us, recognizing the unity that we individually have with the Father through Christ, recognizing our unity with each other, intentionally putting all the stuff down to love each other as a sign to the world. And that, it says, it's not doing a bunch of miracles. It's our unity with one another, our love for one another, and then turning that toward the world. And it, it, th- that produces belief in the world. Amen. Amen. It's just the strategy that he lays out. Why else would he pray it? Right? It's in there. That's our strategy. Now, yes, along the way, we have the gifts of the Spirit. We have all of that working through us, right? The fruits of the Spirit inwardly, the gifts moving outwardly. Amen? Amen. So, so that, that's, that, that's the mindset of where Jesus is moving toward. You know, we want to understand. Ephesians talks about, we, Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, opened, so that we would know the hope of His calling. And what I want to walk through today, I don't really have a teaching. I kind of just want us to journey through just one of his last days and just look at his heart for us. You know, again, the heart of Jesus enduring the joy set before him. But because he was human and because he was tempted, it's to me, the reason that this is important and practical is, yes, to understand salvation, but when you're struggling and you think that God's mad at you, or you think he's about to abandon you, or you feel like maybe I did something just too wrong, and and you can go back to this mindset and remember what he did for you, right? That's what we do in communion. We remember his body and his blood. And so obviously today being Palm Sunday, which is a week before he was um, crucified and resurrected, But Palm Sunday is when he fulfilled the prophecy of riding into town on a donkey. It's it's funny because if you read it in Matthew, it says, here comes our gentle and humble king riding on a donkey. And the first thing he does is start flipping over money changer tables. (laughs) You know, so humility is not weakness. Humility is laying down your you and sticking to God's truth. You know, humility is not lowly, oh, I'm sorry. Humility is, you know what, I'm wrong. I lay that down and I boldly put on your truth. Even if that means you're trapped in sin, but he says you're the righteousness of God in Christ. It's that putting on of the righteousness of God and that boldness and that strengthening you to overcome that sin that you're falling into. So I just want to walk through this, and it's kind of a lot of reading. Philip, I'm actually just going to have you follow me, if you would, please, starting in in, um, Matthew 26, verse 1. And just just kind of picture this. You know, like, so when when I'm seeking to understand or I'm seeking to relate to Scripture, I'm seeking to go into it to find something to apply you know, anything that you read and you're not seeking to apply it, you lose it. It doesn't really 
have much of an effect. But if you're reading it with the intention of what, how can I get something out of this to actually put into practice in my life? How can I actually digest this word, hold this word in my heart so that it produces a change within me and I live this out? You know, so let's listen that way. Inject yourself into that story. If you're a visual person and you can go there, maybe you see yourself waving one of these palm branches, recognizing Jesus coming in. You know, because there were people that recognized who he was and they're, they're receiving him. And it's, it's Zechariah 9. I think I forgot to look it up, but there's a prophecy about him coming in. So now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples. Now, now listen, I want you to see the heart of Jesus toward you in what he knows is coming. Like he knows, and the Son of Man will be delivered up. They had a hard time with that. You know, Peter probably still had the mindset of this Messiah is going to come in, this conquering king is going to overthrow Rome. You know, we kind of get that idea because when they come to arrest Jesus, he pulls out the sword, right? But Jesus, about the Messiah, you know, most of us are familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, but I'm going to give you some homework. If you go and you read Jonah chapter 2, because that's one of the things that Jesus identifies himself as. They ask him for a sign. He says, well, you're not going to get a sign other than the sign of Jonah, ultimately being in the grave three days and three nights, right? So go read Jonah chapter 2. Go read Psalm 22, Psalm 18, and recognize these are messianic, prophetic passages that give us insight into the experience of the Messiah on the cross and in the grave. And you, and you just identify. You, you see his heart towards you. And the reason it's important to see his heart towards you is because it shows you how much compassion he has for you, which should produce a willingness to you to open up your heart to him in that pain, in that sin, in that brokenness, and let him in there because he cares about you. So let's keep going. So he knows and he's telling them, I'm going to be delivered up to be crucified. Now, skip to, I'm going to skip some. So if you would skip to verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, which, you know, he shouldn't have been there, but he was because he's Jesus. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor always, but me you do not have always. Leave it on this one, verse 12. Again, you see his heart. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. In just a minute, he's, getting to a, he's going to get to a point where he prays, Lord, let this cup pass from before me. The, the anointing for his death, the uh, riding in to fulfill the prophecy to be crucified. Man, verse 13, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then skip to verse 36. Just take a moment 
and just let this speak to you, the heart of Jesus for you. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Has anybody ever been there to Jerusalem and seen that? I hear that some of the trees that could have been in the garden at the time when he was there, if it's even the right place, but I want to go there and see that. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Because he knows what's coming. He's read the prophecies about the suffering that he's going to do. He knows that God is going to forsake him. There's debate about that. If you don't think God forsook Jesus on the cross, you know, we can agree to disagree. In my reading, he forsook him. He, and the reason he forsook him is because Jesus was the sin offering. God would make him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's almost as if, and to a degree I believe this, the nature, his nature even changed on that cross. I'm not saying he ceased to be God, and it's hard to even put frame all that into understanding, but God made him to be sin. He hung on that cross as us. And then the full penalty of breaking the law and the curse of the law and the effects of death were poured into him and manifest in his body. And he knows this. He knows this is what's coming. He knows he's going to be hung there with all his bones out of joint, casting lots for his clothes. He knows these prophecies. He knows the forsaking is coming. He knows he's headed into that grave to face the bulls of Bashan. And you read these, you read these, these psalms and he talks about the, the snares of death were encompassing me. Incredible what he knows is coming. And he's praying. This is why he's sorrowful and deeply distressed. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. You know, he's like, he's, there's almost a vulnerability. You know, he wants his people with him. He went a little further, farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away praying and said, O oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, in other places, it records that three times he prayed. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time. Sorry, this is it. <laughs> saying the same words, then he came to his disciples, saying to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? You know, it's almost as if, okay. So what I think he was doing is he's wrestling with whether or not he's going to obey God for us. He's wrestling with temptation. He's wrestling because he prays. He's asking God 
if there's another way, because he knows what's coming, he knows that he's going to become your sin. He knows that he's going to take your curse. He knows that he's going to be punished for your law-breaking. And he knows he's going to face the ridicule and the shame. You know, so just get a picture of this. You know how shameful and guilty and embarrassed you feel when you admit your sin to yourself? He felt that on the cross. But yet he was naked with all his bones out of joint on full display. The deepest shame that you have ever felt for your sin and your mistakes and your failures, he felt that. Isaiah 53, the chastisement needful for us to gain peace was upon him. He didn't just carry it. He became it for you. When you're feeling that guilt and that shame, you, you, you don't just say, oh, he felt it for me, so I don't need to feel it. No, it, it, it's that, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep going. And the Son of Man is being betraying him even in that moment. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You've got to know that's you. That's you. Yes, the joy of fulfilling the will of God. Yes, the joy of glorifying his Father's name. But for the purpose of rescuing you and delivering you from sin and death, setting you free from the chains of this world, setting you free from the darkness that you live in and the future without God. Say, I am that joy. And I just, I just, you know, y'all have heard me say this, and, and I walk through this relatively, regularly. But enduring the cross to me, I just have this picture. It's like this mental movie that plays out, that he's drug his own cross up the hill. And I just see, you know, other people being crucified. And, you know, they may be wrestling with the bindings. They're wrestling with the soldiers, the centurions, and the, the guards. And, and, but they, they wrestle them down to the cross. But I, I see Jesus dragging his cross. I see him dropping it down. And then I see him just willingly lay down and roll over onto it and stretch out his hands. And I just see him looking at that guard and just looking at him knowing I'm doing this for you. This is what the world needs to hear. They don't know. The world hadn't heard the gospel. If they hadn't heard how much God loves them, they haven't heard the gospel. We've heard a works performance oriented, mixed covenant perspective. But the world, I'm telling you, when people hear the gospel, it's easy for them to receive. Amen. Most people. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm telling you. Determine in your heart you are a carrier of the kingdom. You are a deliverer of the gospel. Be competent. Amen? People need to know. 
He laid down on that cross willingly for your neighbors, your family members. Tell them. Let them know. Amen? Amen. Let them know. Just let them know. Find a way to communicate it that works for you. It's our love for people. You know, it's, it's not political strategy. It's not convincing people how wrong they are. You know, there's a time to deal with that kind of stuff. But people need to know. People need to know the heart of God for them. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And now you are in him in that place. For considered him who endured such hostility from sinners against him, lest you become weary and discouraged. You ever feel weary and discouraged? How do you, how do you feel right now thinking about what he's done for you? you know, and and in, in a moment like this, in Romans 8, we, we read the passage that the, the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're his child. That's what some of you are feeling. You know, you're, you're just feeling that sense of the Spirit is bearing witness to me, my value to God, my place in God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. This is fascinating. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And leave it on that one. Now, this is twofold, obviously, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we skip the passages in Matthew 26 where it describes this. But um, it says that he was so greatly distressed that drops of blood were coming out of his pores. And here, I personally think that that's what this is alluding to. Some people would say that it's just talking about the bloodshed of the, the cross, and it, I think it certainly is that, but, but I think it's even more so specifically talking about in that garden when he was distressed. There, there's a condition that when you're physically stressed to the point that your capillaries break, blood can come out of your pores. He was so stressed. And what was he doing? He was resisting sin. The sin of not obeying and sticking to the plan. But for the joy set before him, he fought. You're telling me that the faith of God on the inside of you is not stronger than that sin that so easily besets you? I mean, you haven't resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. But he has, and that strength is in us. That's the beauty of the new covenant creation is that you are free from the curse of the law and sin no longer has dominion over you. If you stay stuck in sin after you become a believer, it's because you want to. Not because you have this propensity on the inside of you. You do if you entertain it in your mind, but he's changed you. You've got his laws written in your deepest parts of who you are. It's natural for you to obey God now. But we hold on to the old man in our thinking but consider, consider that power that's on the inside of, that was in him, is in you. And finally, Hebrews 4, <clears throat> verse 14. This is, the, this is the 
promise. This is where we live now. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Amen. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You, you don't have a finger-pointing, critical God pointing at you, scrutinizing your behavior, keeping track of your failures. That's one of the promises of the new covenant is that he would no longer hold your sins against you. I mean, that's scandalous. That upsets some people. And, and so when Paul preached the gospel, people would say, well, it's so then you're saying that we can continue in sin? If God's not holding our sins against us, if God's not mad at us, if Jesus has already been judged for us, that kind of sounds like you're saying I can go ahead and keep sinning. Well, that's not what it means to me. What it means to me is I want to live worthy of that condition that he's now put me in. I want to live in such a way that honors and glorifies that work. I don't want to use it for an occasion to the flesh. I don't want to use it to stay in licentiousness, you know, all these words. <laughs> you, are you with me? Amen. But the legalistic mixed covenant mindset, that's what it hears. And so you're always going to hear that. Let me just tell you, if you preach the gospel properly, mixed covenant thinking people will think that you're saying it's okay to sin. But let me tell you, people that are trapped in sin, that's good news. Oh, you mean God's not mad at me? It's safe to come to him? Well, yeah, let me tell you, it even gets better. Jesus knows what you've been through. So he's able to help you through it, and he wants to. Yeah, he will. Yes, there is a confession, confession of sin. Yes, there is a repentant lifestyle to stay engaged in. Yes, there is a sin to avoid. Of course there is. Of course there is. I mean, that's Jesus. Be holy as God is holy. You can't do it on your own, and he knows that, so he's not going to hold your sins against you. But that doesn't mean sin is not going to have an effect. It's still going to kill you. And what should you do with sin? Stop it. Stop it. Just stop. <laughs> Just stop. We do not have a high priest. who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Your high priest, your Jesus, knows what you're going through. The stuff that we hide from him, he knows. I'm telling you, he knows, he's, and he's been there. Everything that you're facing or ever will face, he's faced it. And he still loves you because he knows what it's like, and he knows how to help you. Let him help you. Amen? Let him love you. Let him love you but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, last verse. Let us therefore come boldly. Cody, would you come up, please? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen? Amen. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, you know, what I, what I pray for you that the takeaway is is that you have an emotional connection that affects your identity of who you think that you are in the eyes of God because of the value that Jesus placed on you to stick to all of that. You know, I just, I think about that. I think about Jesus knew what was coming. Of course, you know, you might think, well, of course he did. He was God. 
but, but to face it as a human, to go through that, to be forsaken for us. You know, a, a proper response is, oh, man, thank you so much. And help me live in such a way that glorifies and honors your heart for me. Not from a legalistic perspective, you know, not from a, well, this is just what I'm supposed to do, but just because that's how deep of a relationship that you have with him, right? That's how, that's how moved you've been by what he's done for you. Amen? Amen. And then, and then when, you, when you can feel that compassion that he has for you, that's what you minister out of. You minister out of the compassion that you know that God has for you. And so if you're not active, if you're not taking those, I'm not, you know, not everybody's Glenn. Glenn blanketed half of his neighborhood, door, or did you do the whole neighborhood? A third of his neighborhood, and it's Summer Grove. So it's a giant neighborhood. <laughs> thousands of homes, or thousands, or 2,500 homes. Not door to door. Took a year. Not everybody's going to do that, and that's okay. Not everybody's called to do that. But in your life, in those moments, man, I'm just, <clears throat> I just see, I see Jesus' heart for people, and I look at the world. And you got, you know, the media is giving us the worst news. That's just what they do. They give you the worst case scenario. It's like going to the doctor. They're going to give you the worst case scenario. You know, you can't look to the media to get perspective. You can look to see what's going on, but you better have a kingdom perspective. You better have a, the kingdom is increasing perspective. You better have a perspective of, okay, temperature taken. I've stepped outside. I've seen what's going on out there. I realize how cold it is. Now I'm preparing myself to move on. Don't, don't look to that stuff for, for thought influence, please. It's good to stay informed to a degree, but man, I'm telling you, don't let that stuff drag you down. All this division, even, even with groups of people that we vehemently disagree with their behavior, don't let the media shape and influence how you feel about those people. Let God, in the form of a human, riding into town to offer himself to lay down on that cross willingly, let that shape how you see these people. Your worst enemy, see them. Jesus was thinking about them when he's rolling into town, and it's for everybody. That's got to be what shapes how we see people. Ourselves first and people. And then you, you, just, you can't help but just open your mouth and love on people. The world needs to hear the gospel. Your friends and family need to hear the heart of God for them. And you're equipped. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in you to help you in those moments. What are you afraid of? You're not about to be arrested and thrown down onto a cross. Maybe a little embarrassment. Think about what he went through. Have the heart of Jesus as your filter toward people. Amen. Let's just stand up and worship a little, just a little bit.
into the grave and conquering the grave for me so that I'll, I'll not taste death. You've delivered us from death so that we can live with our Father eternally. Thank you for your resurrection life on the inside of us. You took your own blood into that heavenly holy of holies and sprinkled it as an offering as a testimony of our righteousness in you. And we are forever one with you in that place. And make, make this your prayer. Father, thank you for the grace to be vocal about the gospel. Teach me in my own way to communicate with people. Strengthen me. Give me courage. Help me. Help me just love people and share the good news of your kingdom in a non-religious way, in a way that's natural for me, in a creative, artistic way where each one of us get to do it, not bending the truth, always holding to the core principles. But I want people to know. Do you want people to know? You know, if you want to be a bringer of the gospel. Just lift up your hand. Just show him. Yes, Lord. I want to represent your kingdom. I want to be a blessing to the world around us. I want people to know how good you are. If that's your commitment, just say amen. Thank you, Lord. 